from Washington. This is the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, March 5th. You are listening to the Macrocast. This is Tony Fratto. Um, it's Jobs Day. We have Matt McDonald here with us from Hamilton Place Strategies. Uh, our usual partners on the Macrocast, John Fagan and Brendan Walsh from Markets Policy Partners. Uh, guys, we got the jobs numbers today. It was uh, a really good number. And I think, the, I mean, the way I just said it was, I, I'm, I, I don't even, I don't see any dark clouds here. I just see silver linings. That's all I'm paying attention to right now. You could probably dig really deep. I don't know, Matt, if you know, take us through the numbers, but I don't know if you see anything that um, gives you pause. Uh, I think it's all good. Yeah, no, the, the numbers are great. It's headline uh, 379,000 jobs created. The unemployment rate ticked down from 6.3 to 6.2. There's no, you know, the underlying dynamics of that unemployment rate are driven by more people getting jobs. There's no kind of like dropping out of the workforce. There's no like population, weird population stuff like we've seen in, in some months. Um, so all good. The Notable, the, the big driver of jobs is 355,000 jobs increase in leisure and hospitality. Um, you saw a slight decrease in, in government jobs, which is kind of interesting. You know, there's a little bit of caveat around uh, some of the February storms, but but this is just a really good number. I, it's, it's a very interesting number in that we've been talking for a few months about, um, you know, when we were in the zone of like the jobs aren't really going to get better until the pandemic gets better. And to me, this number indicates kind of the beginning of the end, right? We see not the end, but the beginning of the end. We see, um, I would have expected this number candidly in March or maybe even April as vaccine rollouts continue and the pandemic kind of tapers off and works works through the population candidly. I, I just, but to see this number in February is a pretty big boost. I think that I think that it confirms, to me, this number confirms views of 2021 as a very robust economic year. I think that um, I don't see a reason why, you know, we'll, we'll have some ups and downs, but I would expect for robust numbers like this to continue for the months to come. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, to your point on, uh, on, on its, you know, seeming early, as you know, say, well, you know, states are probably going to, you know, reopen with what we're seeing with the vaccines. But even the states that that have announced dramatically, Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, have all announced. Connecticut. Uh, Connecticut also. Connecticut's moving to. I forget what the date is. It's like mid March. Yeah, it's mid uh, mid March. One hundred percent capacity. But they haven't announced those. I mean, they haven't actually been put. They in haven't the- done it yet. That's right. That's right. That's real- why I would have expected yeah. something like this for the March numbers. The exactly. fact that it's in February, pulling that forward and it's that good. Uh, and we had me- bad weather all February. So yeah, it, the, it, the fact that it was heavily driven by restaurant jobs is a is a great sign uh, for the future. Yeah, it is a signal. I mean, I, you know, I, I think in you know, just thinking about New York, I'm just anecdotally. You know, New York did go to 35%. Um, you know, it was like edging larger, you know, and, and you, you know, you, you, you repeat that, uh, you know, a million, you know, a few hundred thousand times throughout the economy of, uh, you know, uh, restaurants here and there adding 
an extra busboy, an extra waiter, an extra back, uh, uh, you know, uh, back of the uh, house uh, job, you know, it adds up across a big economy. And uh, that's, it seems like that's what we're seeing in, in, you know, whether it's hotels and restaurants and uh, other service related jobs that people were afraid or um, I think more afraid than even government policy uh, of, yeah. uh, of, of having economic activity. And um, it seems like that's the, that's the, those are the signs that we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, the caveat of what's to come. So bank of America's credit card data, they break it down by age. So uh, 70 and above uh, saw a massive spike in uh, airline bookings. Uh, but they, they didn't see uh, also a huge in a hotel. So either you're coming to your, uh, your, your winter house in Florida or you're going to visit your family. But most importantly, people that are vaccinated feel safe to, to get on a plane. Yeah, the caveat to all this is that we, you know, we, still have, um, you know, we still have some digging out to do from the impact. But it strikes me that we're, we're, on the, we're now kind of yeah. fully on the right trajectory. The, the pandemic's going to get better over the coming months. The jobs are going to get better over the coming months. It's all pointing in the right direction. Exactly. The, 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 the private sector data from this port was incredibly surprising to the upside. The, the, the problem is the, the state and local government data was, <laughs> continues to be incredibly weak. And it's entirely, basically entirely in education. So we lost another almost 70,000 jobs in state and local education, which brings it up to about 1.5 million uh, teachers and support staff that have been laid off throughout the pandemic. These are, these are people that need to educate, educate our kids that aren't going to be there when we come back. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's, you know, I'm married to a, a public school teacher, so I don't you know, minimize, minimize that, uh, you know, one bit. Um, it's, uh, you know, until schools are opening, I, I, I'm not sure, like, you know, it's probably not subject matter teachers, right? It's probably, uh, you know, gym teachers and yeah, the driver instructors and, uh, and uh, you know, the uh, uh, superintendents, you know, the, the janitors, you know, yep. cleaning staff, all of those, all of those folks got to get those schools reopened for a whole lot of different reasons, uh, you know, for those jobs. And so there is a lot of money in the, yeah, so parents can co- can focus yeah. on work and so that kids can get better education. Uh, in and, and I think that so the Biden administration made a push th- this week for that. Mm-hmm. I, I think I mean, it, it's really important to get kids back in school. Uh, the San Francisco Fed did a study that said us keeping our kids out of school uh, this year where the rest of the world sent them will take 70 years for us to, to rebound economically from that that choice. But I, I also think that that parents are are kind of at their wits end. And I think the, the Democrats realize that getting kids back in school as quick as possible is going to be what people vote on in 2020. Too. Yeah, I think they, did, they definitely see it as a political vulnerability. Yeah. It'll be a, a, it'll be a bloodbath in the, the primaries if if kids aren't back in school. Yeah, getting back to getting back to the jobs report. Um, and again, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm I am focusing on the silver linings in the report because I think directionally everything is going in uh, the right direction. You know, levels were are were obviously still way off. You know, and uh, not just yeah, we're still but, 12 yeah. million jobs shy of where we were. Well, I think I think we're at ten, maybe 10 or 11 million shy of where we were. We're probably 12 million shy. Yeah, of where we should be. Yeah, where yeah, we yeah. ought to be if we continued on trend, yeah, trend job growth. Uh, lots of, we still have a lot of ground to make up. And that's just to say that, and it's, you know, taking Matt's cue on this, 
of um, you know this number. I, I don't know that it's going to be a steady line, right? Uh, you know, straight a straight line, uh, you know, sort of linear kind of uh, increase. It may be it may be spiky. You know, we may have a huge month and then a um, and then uh, 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 a you know drop off. Uh, that's that's possible. You would have uh, to imagine that the summer months could be massive. I think we could see you some know, massive, like two, three, yeah, four, some five massive increase. Kind of yeah. yeah, like things that we've never seen. Be- in the same <laughs> yeah. way we saw job losses that we've never seen before, yeah. I think we see, may see some job increases that we've never seen before. A million, two jobs in a month, that kind of, you know, those kinds of numbers that were unimaginable pre-COVID. Uh, but we could, I think we could certainly see that, uh, you know, you know, people, people are looking at today's numbers saying, well, yeah, at, you know, 350,000 jobs a month, uh, it's still going to take us, you know, 25 months to get to <laughs> yeah, the first. Like, it's, I don't think we're staying at this state, no, right? I, I, mean, I think once we get into spring, once, you know, people are, you know, as we've talked about with um, uh, vaccines and, uh, and as, as this reopening happens, I think you're going to see massive job uh, number uh, increases on a month-to-month basis. Yeah, well, I mean that's Florida, the. I, I could have wanted signs all over the place. I started this by saying like I would have expected this number in like March or April, yes. and it's possible that this is the bad number. Right. Yeah, I yeah. think you're right. You, you, yeah, you may yeah. have to up. Yeah, you may have to raise, elevate your uh, your expectations for March yeah. and April, yeah. especially yeah. now. The, if, if the administration was comfortable enough to say that everyone can be vaccinated by the end of May. It, it's May, you know, you, you don't make that promise and not fulfill it. So. Well, I think you make that promise goal. and it's probably April. It's probably April. Well, especially because of the amount of, a lot of people aren't going to want it and it's going to take us a, a little while to, to convince those people. So yes, everybody that wants a vaccine, I think <laughs> will be vaccinated by the end of April. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, I guess you know there there is the long term uh, unemployed uh, in there. Any other Matt? Anything uh, anything out of uh, anything else out of the number that uh, that we should be you know paying particularly attention to? It's our workforce participation again. Direct. The ELS did not put a point. So the, the amount of people that had to drop out of the workforce to take care of their kids, the unemployment rate should be 0.5 percent higher than what it is because of of the way you have to answer the question. But but they put that that's been the case every month for for census has began. John, what are markets saying? Well, this is a this is a very very encouraging reaction uh, in financial markets. It's and you know we've seen this dynamic over the last few weeks that is a little bit paradoxical to you know the person on the street where good news is bad news and good news about vaccines, good news about the economy, good news about the recovery. This tantalizing post-pandemic premonition that we're having in financial markets and and in our own personal lives has actually uh, created some difficulties in financial markets. It's created some real churn. We've talked about this before, the the rotation in stock markets from the high-flying pandemic winners, Zoom, Peloton, Netflix, to the more growth-dependent kinds of sectors of the stock market energy, materials, industrials, these are less whiz-bang, less, you know, magical than some of the, you know, Teslas of the world, uh, but they're the ones that have been outperforming, the small caps, the Russell 2000s, uh, and what we've seen is, you know, there's clearly pain on in portfolios on, on Wall Street and in hedge funds and so forth, 
uh, and in pensions and, and 401ks, real people are losing money in this because they were in uh, some of these stocks and those stocks have really led to the upside. Uh, but, you know, it's coincided. It's, it seems to be a, you know, this is the kind of thing that based on what Chair Powell said yesterday, it's not lifted treasury yields, longer dated treasury yields to the kind of levels that would really freak out the Fed. Yeah. We are up at 1.5, 1.6 on the 10 year. That is not, no, these are not nosebleed levels. It arrived quickly at these levels. That's the problem that the Fed speakers have keyed in on the pace. Uh, but when you see uh, an upside reset like yesterday, that was that's a little bit concerning, but it was only seven or eight basis points, which in the grand scheme of things isn't a killer. And the the reflexive move higher today brought the 10 year, uh, you know, basically five, six, seven basis points higher to 162. Mm-hmm. And now it's settled back down to about 158. This is a process of the 10 year finding a more realistic equilibrium. If you're sitting in the Treasury and the Fed and you had, you know, a, a couple of months ago, if you had a wish list for things to happen in the market, you would want the treasury market to reflect better growth expectations, but in a, you know, in a gentle and non-volatility creating way, you would like some of the froth to get blown out of parts of the equity market. And you would probably want the more growth oriented stocks to outperform. You would probably want the dollar to stiffen up a little bit. And these things would, dampen the inflation expectations, uh, but they would actually allow you to keep a very, uh, you know, a very accommodative monetary policy because the market is doing some of the tightening for you rather than too much tightening. So right now we've been sort of joking that this has like been the immaculate, from the perspective of policymakers, this has been the immaculate correction. I mean, this is exactly kind of what they would want to see and surely there's a risk that it goes too far and they're obviously watching it. Uh, but, you know, I think Fed Chair Powell emphasized yesterday that what they're seeing right now isn't scary to them. John, I, I have a question. We, you know, I look at the I look at the policymaker side of the equation here and I see just a lot of conviction, both on the monetary side and the fiscal side about what the direction is and where they should be going and it's interesting, and we've had conversations on this in the past. It's an interesting, um, it's an interesting environment where it feels like the because of that conviction, the markets are not leading the policy, and so they're being forced into a little bit of a response of okay, whatever we do, this isn't you, you know like we need to calibrate against the policy as opposed to factoring in uncertainty that the policy may change depending on what the markets do. What's your, what's your take on that dynamic and what we're going to see on that unfolding? I think that it is different on the fiscal and monetary sides. I think on the fiscal side, they, it is basically a, you know, straight ahead. They are going to, they are going to rush forward on this, uh, on this, on this bill with the, I mean, rush, they're going to proceed forward on the 1.9 trillion rescue uh, package, the stimulus, the investment package, the build back better American recovery act. We expect to be a similar size. We do not expect the market or any other uh, aspects to really knock them off the line. The Biden administration has two big levers to pull 
uh, in their first, you know, before the 2022 midterms. And these are those two levers. And they want to leave the, uh, the Republican Party in the dust here as much as they possibly can. And this is how they aim to do it. Uh, so there's not just an economic, but a political imperative uh, driving the fiscal, uh, driving the fiscal uh, moves in our view. On the monetary side, we see this as much more like a uh, much more tactical uh, and much more of a dialectical with a dialectic with markets. This is kind of a fighting retreat for the Fed. They want to be able to calibrate their policy uh, for the most damaged parts of the economy and be able to hold that policy as accommodative as possible for as long as possible. But they are clearly like acknowledging that the market is the market is going to have its say. And the, you know, the market is flashing forward to this to this exciting growth uh, future that we we all hope we have and we think we're going to have. Uh, But the act of flashing forward to it, if you go if you take it too far, I can actually undermine the that that re- by virtue of the expectations getting too far ahead of themselves, you can actually undermine the recovery by, you know, longer dated yields running up too far. So the Fed, I think, is trying to, you know, they're trying to calibrate their their communications. If you ask them, you know, in their heart of hearts, is there guidance for no rate hikes before 2024? You know, is that rock solid? That's, you know, a really long time for guidance, but there's a use for that. And it's to try to keep markets on side for as long as possible. And if the growth, if the recovery really is great, we do expect the Fed to be responsive to that and pivot. But they've got the rhetorical and and analytical background to say, you know, we're not going to overreact in the short term to, you know, a snapback in inflation and growth, because over that hump is going to be a much more normal kind of environment. Yeah. And in fact, he's um, in fact, you know, Powell yesterday in that interview with Nick Timmerhouse was in fact, he, it's, he's predicting it. Right. It's not just whether like it might happen. He's saying he's essentially saying there will be a temporary uh, increase in um, uh, in inflation. We're not going to be fooled by it. He's essentially saying you ought not to be fooled by it either. Uh, and don't go pushing up rates because you start seeing some inflation because we are not going to move our policy until it's sustained for a long period of time. And he is not putting a date on, you know, Nick tried to get him to talk about, you know, calendars. He's like, I'm not talking about calendars. I'm not going to talk about calendars. I've told you over and over again, I'm looking at the data. I'm looking at, you know, sustained substantial improvement in achieving our, um, our uh, uh, targets, our goals. And uh, if we don't see sustained progress on that, we have to, we need to be living in it, not not seeing it coming, but living in it for some sustained period of time. Until that happens, we're not moving, and uh, you know. And so, if the market is anticipating inflation coming, in even a, a burst of inflation, and and they're expecting that that will move the Fed, Powell is that's you know he's using his mild mannered voice, but he's shouting from the roof of the Federal Reserve building. Uh, don't be fooled because we're not going to be fooled. The, the one thing that it, it doesn't worry me, but I think it is mispriced. It, the market, I think a lot of DC people think that the build back better is is past that, that we're getting another two trillion. And I just think it's going to be a lot harder to pass that one than it was this COVID. Uh, 
Biden was able to kind of keep everybody on board and keep out uh, controversial stuff because we have a date, the <clears throat> March 14th, we need to get this thing passed to, in order for unemployment to, to, to keep going. The Build Back Better, it, we kind of call it an infrastructure bill, but it's really not. It's really an everything bill. And in that, there's going to be a lot of controversial, especially on the, on the revenue side, the tax side. And, and a lot of these bills, especially, you know, the wealth tax, the wealth tax has nothing to do with raising revenue to spend. It, it's really much more about redistributing wealth. So, and, but I, I'm much more worried about the House than I am about the Senate, where you, you actually lost two votes in the, for the COVID bill. Uh, so I just think it's going to be it's going to be a bloody battle on the Build Back Better, where the the COVID bill was was pretty pretty simple. I, I still think they can get something passed, but it's it's not going to be as much fun as this one was. <laughs> yeah, you mean an infrastructure bill? An infrastructure bill, yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I think I mean, look, I, I do think they're gonna they're gonna fight for it for it and push pretty pretty hard for it. And I do think it's coming. I think look, it's it's funny. One of the uh, you know some of the criticisms of this bill that Republicans are raising are actually some of the kinds of things that should give comfort if you're worried about, you know, bursts of inflation. You know, they're saying, you know, look, this, this bill isn't even going to be all spent in, in you yeah. know, 21 and we're going to be back to normal. It's actually going to be spent over 2022 and 2023 and 2024, you know, and well, if you're worried about inflation um, and you're worried about sort of sustained fiscal support for the economy over time, that's actually more comforting than if it was all going to be uh, spent in, uh, in in 2021 and some of the, uh, you know, some of those, uh, uh, you know, run hot um, concerns. It's still going to be a substantial amount of money being spent in 2021. No one should uh, <laughs> doubt, doubt that. But it does say that there is going to be support in the out years. I mean, look, I, you know, I've been supportive of, uh, of doing something big. Maybe I've recalibrated as to whether this big is needed right now. But if you're in the Biden administration, you know, it, boy, it is hard to get money through uh, regular budgets, right? It is really tough. You've got like annual fights with Congress to get money. They're going to be handed at least one big pile of money to support their initiatives and growth for, you know, the remainder of the Biden term. It's amazing. Right. It's amazing. All the extra money that you might want to spend on all of your high profile priorities, helping states, helping unemployed, helping education, helping healthcare, right? It's like you're get, they're getting a pile of money to go do that. And then the next pile of money is going to be infrastructure. It's pretty, it's actually pretty, a pretty neat trick to turn if you're, uh, you know, if you're the Biden administration and, uh, and on top of that, you got the economy improving on its own. So, you know, if you're just thinking about just, you know, take partisan hats off and look at the, you know, the, the projected economic uh, outlook over the next few years, people are, are predicting a very big uh, 2021. Um, they may be increasing it based on the jobs numbers uh, we saw yeah. today. Some models actually put us at a higher trajectory in, you know, 2022, 23 than we would have been if, if we didn't get COVID. It's kind of, kind of an it's easy. Not a logical. Yeah, mean, it's kind of whatever seven trillion dollars at it. <laughs> no, with like that much fiscal and monetary support, it's kind. Of, I mean, look, if you're if the monetary support, it's is has a long tail. You know, course, I mean, yeah. if you are borrowing money today and you are putting it to work in investments, 
it's got a long tail. So like it is, it's kind of easy to make the case that we are looking at substantial elevated growth, job creation over the coming years, mm-hmm. not just in 2021. All right, guys, let's take a break and, uh, and come back. And, and you know, I want to talk about uh, oil. You're listening to the Macrocast. HPS is hiring. We are seeking a mid-level public affairs professional to join our dynamic team as a director in our Washington, D.C. office. Directors at HPS lead multiple client teams and internal projects and work in a fun, fast-paced, and challenging environment. The successful candidate has five to seven years of relevant experience, is intellectually curious, and interested in public policy, in particular, the deep dive analysis that we do at HPS. To learn more about the position and opportunities at HPS, email our recruiting team at careers at hamiltonps.com. Okay, we're back on the macrocast. Uh, John, oil prices, um, you know, bumping up after, um, after uh, OPEC, OPEC Plus, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at restraining markets. Uh, how, how are you reading this? Yeah, so we've been watching very closely as OPEC Plus, which is the collective OPEC and its allies, mostly Russia, uh, and uh, they have, during the pandemic, just to roll the tape back, they instituted supply cuts to keep oil prices elevated or, or relatively elevated uh, amid the deflationary and collapse in demand. Uh, you know, very understandable. They took a, a huge amount of supply out of the uh, uh, out of the market, and uh, and so basically uh, <laughs> that has that has continued to extend. They've managed to keep cohesion and discipline among the pretty fractious cartel and its allies over these months, even as uh, even as oil began to recover. We got the good news in November about vaccines. We've got a brighter growth outlook that has taken oil up from the 40s to the 50s, now into the high 60s. And OPEC, normally at these kind of levels, you would get a fracturing of the of the cartel. You'd get cheating. You would get, uh, you know, operators trying to capture market share and the Saudis uh, getting cold feet about the whole thing because they're ceding market share to other members of OPEC or Russia uh, mm-hmm. who are pumping more. And, uh, and we've seen that movie before. We've seen OPEC. It was, I think it was uh, late 2014 when OPEC had a dramatic falling out and couldn't hold together. And, uh, and that really uh, was, a, was a huge blow to, to oil prices. This has not been the dynamic. The enforcement of discipline that the Saudis have uh, been able to achieve is, is very impressive. The ways in which in the last, they have now, mo- they've gone to monthly meetings uh, to assess their supply cuts. And uh, in the last, uh, in the last every, every meeting, it looks like this is the meeting where the supply is going to come back on the market. This is when Russia and Kazakhstan and the others come out and say, enough is enough. We've got, you know, prices are high enough. We've got to start pumping again here. And, uh, and every, every month, uh, Lucy pulls away the football. The Saudis have come up with the, basically the same trick, uh, every, you know, success, not, not the same trick. Actually, they came up with a a unilateral, uh, million barrels, uh, cut the last time that they shouldered themselves. 
in order to keep the cartel together. It's quite a performance and uh, they're playing a, a very, and, and they managed to do what nobody expected them to do at the meeting uh, at the meeting this week, which was basically hold the, the uh, supply cuts almost entirely study steady with, you know, continued um, some exemptions for Russia and Kazakhstan. Uh, and so, and, and boasting very high compliance ratios with those, uh, with those supply cuts, oil prices have been on a tear since there were def- there was definitely some cold feet. We saw three days of pretty steep losses in crude markets before OPEC. Uh, but they've all come out, uh, after, after yesterday, prices vaulting higher Brent crude going up towards 70 and the Saudis very specifically saying they don't think that this is going to elicit the same kind of U.S. shale oil response that we've seen in the past. And, you know, shale break even. Why do they, why do they think? Yeah, why do they think that, John? Because we have seen it so often in the past. And one of the, you know, one of the things that, that you know, the shale industry has always said is just like, you know, how easy it is for them to uh, react to, um, uh, you know, to be pretty sensitive to prices in, in, in uh, uh, you know, getting supply back. Is that, did we misunderstand that or are they, uh, they understand it better than we do right now? Well, the Saudi oil minister opined that the dynamics had changed sufficiently in the U.S. shale market, that the shalers were much more disciplined. They're focused on paying dividends, being profitable rather than just going, go, 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 you know, drill baby drill (laughs) that is you know whether he's right about that or not uh, whether the sort of overhangs over the shale industry uh, or the change in mindset of management the consolidation of the players the overhang of debt uh, he might have a point I mean throughout you didn't see a huge spike in 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 defaults in the high yield market in, in the shale uh, space. We have saw some, but not what you would have predicted, uh, you know, whatever, two years ago, uh, if, if you knew what was coming. Right. And so, so the, <laughs> we'd, we'd thought that the, that the Saudis wouldn't be able to hold the line uh, late last year. And we were taught differently. So in every successive meeting, we've basically, you know, thought that our, our, our very, tentative base case would be that this is probably the meeting where they where they loosen up but uh but we've had very low conviction in it and the saudis have have come through every time and so betting against them uh in the oil markets if if the saudi oil minister says he thinks this is a real sea change in u.s shale i'm i'm not going to contradict him here on our podcast yeah so, I, I, I think we'll it seems, yeah it seems to me like the things that have changed you know sort of since then are I still think there's a lot of incremental marginal production that U.S. shale can can do to to you know to react to supply and prices. I think still, you know, I still I still think that there there there's a you know huge short term demand issue uh, that's impacting them, uh, and that is you know COVID and and you know what you know, what do you think is going to happen with uh, the movement of people in cars and uh, airplanes yeah. uh, for the, you know, for the, you know, for the next uh, 18 months or so. And then there's the longer term rotation in energy sourcing that like, if you think of, you know, go back a year ago to today, uh, the you know shift forward of the movement towards uh, electronic vehicles, I think is uh, it's a bigger story. And it's, a, I mean, it's a much more 
near-term story than we would have guessed a year ago. And I, so, so I think that's you know, probably <clears throat> a bigger impact on U.S. shale production than something changing in the, in the you know, I mean, like, I mean, you, know, you can go back to, uh, you know, Colonel Drake and as well in Titusville, Pennsylvania, right? And if, if you think like, finally, oh no, now, and, you know, oil, gas producers have uh, decided they, they, they're not rushing into demand. Like, you're crazy. We have a hundred years experience on this, you know, when demand is there, they're going to rush and go, uh, go produce. It's the it's the reason OPEC exists is because of that dynamic. And I don't think the psychology has changed among oil producers. I think their expectations for both the near term and longer term demand uh, signals they're getting is probably a bigger um, uh, uh, you know has a bigger impact right now. Guys, great show. Um, you know, uh, Brendan. I don't know. What we have next week. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, like, you know, I'm just thinking about the jobs reports. So yeah, much. not not a huge uh, data week, but we do have an important ECB meeting. So that'll be really the uh, the focus of the markets uh, and the policymakers going forward. Actually, that's a great opportunity for us to talk about Europe next week. I mean, we've yep. spent all, all day talking about the U.S. Um, uh, it might be worthwhile next week diving into uh, the EU a little bit and see where they are uh, relative to us, because at the end of the day. You know, this this economy might be roaring. It's not going to be roaring as as much as we want unless the the world is there. We've seen what's happening in China uh, and Japan. But Europe is still uh, super important right now. We need to see and have a good sense of where they're going. All right, guys. Great show. Great jobs day. Have a fantastic weekend. We'll catch you next week on the Macrocast. Thank you for listening to the HPS Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share. 